Amen. So we're in this series. This is part two, Arise and Build. The first series, uh, the first message of the series, uh, we talked about taking the city and, and how, that, how that would work. And so we laid that vision, kind of that infrastructure. This week, I want to talk to you about servant leadership. How many of you heard that term? Okay. Servant leadership is modeled by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. John chapter 13, verse 1 says, It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my hand, head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be what? Blessed. Blessed if you do them. So here's the question. Here's my opening question. What if... No one served in the local church. Let me set the scene for you. In that culture, in the Hebrew culture, the host of the house, the host of the house would, would, would basically uh, invite guests and the guests would come in and it was customary to wash their feet when they walked through the house. And if you think about it, they, they wore sandals and so the stuff that got on their feet was quite dirty, actually. And so this stuff that would get on, it was, it was kind of a menial job. It, it, no one liked to do it. And yet here's the God of the universe in this moment at the meal while they're eating, probably a very, very nice meal, a very, very good meal, stops everything. I, w- I want you to go to back to chapter, or I should say verse 3, chapter 4, excuse me, verse 3 and 4. Let's go back to that real quick. Verse 3 and 4. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power that he had come from God and was returning to God. Verse four, so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. I want you to understand that Jesus had just been raising the dead. I want you to understand that he had just come through the triumphal entry. Everyone is looking at him. He's the Messiah. They're ready for him to wage war on the Romans. They thought he was coming in to usher in political rule when Jesus was actually coming to die on the cross. They thought, this is our time. See, the context of this, what you don't know, maybe, maybe you do know, some of you do know, is that the disciples were arguing about who was going to be the best and jockeying for position in the kingdom. They had already been arguing about 
who the greatest would be. I mean, I can, I can hear Peter say defiantly, see, I'm the one who discovered your identity. See, I said you were Messiah first. Look at me. Uh, I, can, I can hear Thomas having his doubts, but probably talking about his service. Of course, Judas was busy stealing from the treasury, but you have all of these, these situations where uh, in this moment, they're all talking about who's the great, greatest and the best. And so Jesus is just hitting them with a, a sledgehammer. And here's why. It says that he got up from his meal. Key point. He got up while the meal was in progress. Sometimes you have to get up from the table and be inconvenienced to serve. God isn't always going to call you when it's convenient. He's not always going to call you when it's perfect conditions. He will call you when he calls you. And we have to be willing to get up from the table. Jesus was humble. Here's the God of the universe. I mean, think that's why Peter said, Lord, you can't do this. I mean, it would be like the president of the United States coming to wash to your house, wash your feet. You know, that's, just, that's not befitting of the office, is it? I can't get a visual of that. And yet, here is Jesus, our creator, washing our feet. And it's symbolic of us. It's because we are, without him, filthy. He has to clean us first. That's what he's telling Peter. I gotta clean you first, and then you can do the great things for my glory, not yours, but I've gotta clean you first. And so, Jesus gets up and, and does this. And there's, there's a part to this that I wanna address. I said that there's a time to sit at the table and there's a time to get up from the table and serve. I want to talk to you about some of the conditions that I see, not so much, not to the degree in our church, but I do see it some, and I'm going to hit it hard, but I also see that it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a problem, not just in Green Bay, but really a, a, across the United States, and it's this. It's called Me Church because it's all about me. What can you do for me? And then we want to jockey for position in the kingdom. Oh, you know, maybe I can, you know, we come with our agendas. Maybe the pastor will notice this, I can do this, I can do this, and I have my agendas. Do you know who we serve? We don't serve the pastor. We serve the king of kings and the lord of lords. And what he tells you to do, you need to get up from the table and serve and be inconvenienced. Amen? I'm preaching better than you're responding, as they say. <laughs> I promise we'll come to laugh, we'll come to cry, we'll come to terms. Jesus humbled himself to serve others. Faulty mindsets. Here's one, here's one, here's one. They can do it. They can rock the babies. They can usher. They can play in the band. They can sing. Here's my question. Who's they? Who's they? Because if somebody doesn't do something, nobody gets nothing. There's no preaching of the word. There's no, are you, you tracking? Somebody has to do something. But the question we always ask is, in our brain is, who's they? If the pastors don't cast a vision, in a church, we don't know where we're going. So the pastor simply to cast the vision. And God is asking you to play a part 
in his story. Part of that is being a part of the local church. I am going to contend for the local church today. Um, I, the, I'm, he's like, oh, he's going to hit me hard on the service thing again. I know it. 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 He's going to hit me on it. I know it. I know it. Lord, just stop him. Rebuke you, Satan. In the name of Jesus, don't talk to me about serving. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Illustration. Katrina. 9-11. Tsunamis. Haiti. Earthquakes. Disasters. Wildfires. Floods. There isn't a person in here who isn't worth a, who's worth a salt that wouldn't help their neighbor. I, I believe in the foundation of the goodness of the people sitting in this room. I do. You would, you would bend over backwards. I know you would. You, if that was your neighbor and a tree went down, everybody in this room that has any kind of heart would probably offer to help, correct? It would be in that situation, you would probably, now follow me with this, you would create margin in your life to stop what you're doing and help, right? Because there's a disaster that's happened, there's a need that needs to be met, and you know what? I'm gonna interrupt my life to help, right? Now, let me apply this in another way. I want you to look around and ask yourself this question. Can we be real? Is culture, is culture defining to the church who it is, or are we defining to culture who we are? Because here's, here's the thing. If the church is really winning globally and in, in, in here overall, if we're really winning, why are the statistics showing more and more people walking away from the churches? Well, I, there's a lot of reasons for that. I think pastors, for one, have to take responsibility. First of all, that starts with me. First of all, if I'm Johnny Coward and I don't challenge you, that's my fault. I know I've ticked off guys when I've preached before, but you know what? They, don't, they, they will respect. They may not like me, but at least they'll respect me. Well, he's got guts, right? Guys know what I'm talking about. They don't want Johnny Coward. On the other hand, we have to be, pastors have to be humble and say, gosh, you know, I missed that one. I missed God on that. And your pastor will do that. Because I've made lots of mistakes in my three years here. I've also made some good decisions. And, and when God leads me, if, if it's sometimes like this, I'm like, yes, sir. But I'm going. Okay, so... Back to my illustration. We, we will create margin in our lives to serve when a disaster hits. Here's the point. There's a disaster hitting the United States Church of America and everyone's sitting back saying somebody else can do it. They can do it because I don't have time. If nobody does anything for the local church, then we become me church. And you know what? We sell a lot of good stuff. Come to church, praise God, tithe, and you'll be blessed. That's what we tell. But you know what? We don't also sell the fact that it's hard and the enemy's gonna work on you in that process and tell you that you're, you know, no, you're no good, you're worse than, and, and we don't tell the other side that the moment you make that decision, the heat is on, brother, sister, <laughs> and it's not always convenient. I want you to see it real clear. Jesus created margin for an opportunity to serve when it wasn't convenient, because he was eating. That's my first point. The second point is, is that we have an apathy problem, and we need to stop it. A paralyzed church is a workerless church. I was talking to a guy who called me this week. He's doing a research survey for uh, a Christian university that uh, he's, he's trying to get his, his, his online degree. And he, he talked to me about city transformation. He talked to me about city transformation. He asked me, 
Pastor, how do you, how do you envision a city transforming? So that's a great question. I said, it starts from within. He goes, what do you mean? I said, it starts from within the house of God. <laughs> what do you mean? It means I have to evangelize in the house of God. It means I have to preach service in the house of God first. What do you mean? Well, so I began to unpack this, and, and, and I said, here's the thing. A church that is, is only as strong as the, as the people, the servant leaders, that are willing to show up and do what no one else wants to do. So imagine this. I'm, I'm going to cast this real simple. You came in, no one greeted you. Hopefully somebody did, and if they didn't, we need to work on that. You come in, there's no ushers, no greeters, there's no sound, there's no anything, there's just me up here shouting and screaming. Uh, there's no experience, there's no chairs, there's no, see, everything that's here, somebody somewhere said, yes, I will. I will serve, I will give, I will engage. Somebody somewhere created this for you. Amen? And so Jesus is saying the key to the blessed life is your capacity to serve. That means creating margin when you don't think there is margin. And I, I know, statistically, Americans are stressed out right now. We're working harder, we're working longer, we're working faster, we're working under severe circumstances. Our families are suffering. God is seeing the plight of his people. And I'm just asking one fundamental question. If we always do what we've always done, won't we get what we've already gotten? Something has to change. Mindsets have to change. And what I'm saying is a healthy church internally is a healthy church externally. Build the foundation and, oh, brother, they'll come. But we try to go out and reach the lost and we're, 10 people are doing it all because somebody has to come in and sit and soak and get from the message and hear about it. They just don't want to do it. Amen? So as I was talking to him, Here's the vision. You build the insiders of the church to affect outsiders. Our capacity to love. Let me give you an example. Someone says, well, I like a small church. I don't, and here's why. I want a, I want a, I want a large church with small church relationships. I want the capacity to mobilize within a phone call and the mayor says, I need 150 people over here to help with this hospital or this initiative. I need it right now. They call, well, let's call Life Church because you know what? They make it happen because they, they care. In one call, I have 100 people saying, yeah, I'll use my gifts and talents just like that. That's influence. Dictate to the culture instead of the culture dictating to the church saying we can't, somebody has to say we can, and we will, we will, we will. 20% of the people do 80% of the work. That's the, in the, in the church world, that's, that is the stat. I cannot tell you how much that irritates me. Oh my gosh, that, that just irritates me. And it's not because, I, I want to I empathize and say, I get, I get the fact that we're stressed out. But you know, if you study history, and I do, every major revolution, from the American Revolution to the Reformation, every major move of independence and freedom built with people who sacrificed for a vision larger than themselves, and something changed. Just like that. 
when people made up their mind and said, I'm going to do my part. I, like Nehemiah, will take my part on that wall. And in 52 days, they built that sucker. Amen? Let's, let's can the excuses that we can't. Here's the thing, Galatians 6.10, why do you say, why are you championing the church first? Why are you saying the church first? I'm glad you asked that question. Galatians 6.10 says this. Now, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. There is absolutely nothing wrong with serving in the community. I'm all for that. We need to be out there in the community serving in awesome parachurch organizations, nonprofits. I'm all for it. You know what I'm not for? People coming on Sundays and letting everyone else do the work. I'm not, I'm not for that. Amen? I am for the Salvation Army. I am for good. I'm, I'm for the Kiwanis Club, for the clubs and, and things that you're involved in. But here's the part of blessing that Jesus said, verse 17. This is critical. You will not live the blessed life to the measure of what Jesus said unless, are you blessed? When you have Jesus, you're blessed. Your spirit is blessed. You're blessed. But your flesh isn't. Your flesh is constantly warring against that spirit in us, the righteousness of God. And when we have a situation where we're faced with truth, our spirit is warring with our flesh in the purposes of God, and we sit there, oh, he's hitting me on that again. And, and, and it sounds so self-serving, but I speak on behalf of all the pastors out there. Every pastor in this city will thank me for saying this, whether they come to our church or another church, and here's it. Put the household of the faith first. And I'm not backing off that statement. There's a reason people need to be in church in a church, any church. There's a lot of great churches in this city. I wanna be one of them. But I can't tell you that it's okay to have me church. I can tell you that the pathway to blessed living, to the releasing of the blessing over your life, you can have, you can have aspects that you think are blessed, but the key to that is being a blessing to someone else and unlocking God's plan for your life. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. And it's not just about the nursery or, or serving in, in, as an usher or a greeter. And those are all important, and we need that. We need people to help out with the Welcome Center. We want to build a culture of, of uh, servant leaders. But what I'm talking about is being Jesus to people in the household of the faith. So, for instance, back in 2003, my wife was pregnant with our first child, Amarissa. And she's about 24 weeks long. She, I get the phone call, and she's, you know, something's not right. There's, like, contractions. Oh, boy. So we go to the doctor, and within one second, our world changed. I mean, I was working for uh, Channel 2 here in town. I was doing sports, uh, doing weekend sports for the ABC affiliate. And, you know, my time margin was pretty limited at that point. Uh, you know, Packer seasons and football and basketball and everything. It was just, you're just busy, busy, busy. And so... We get that call, and I'm thinking, who's going to cook for me? Wasn't that so awesome of me to say? <laughs> Can we be real? I know none of you have ever thought that way. Surely you've never said stuff. But the first question was, what about me? <laughs> and so, I mean, we had some good moments. I mean, but she literally, for, what, 24 weeks all the way up to 
Amarissa came out 37, almost 38 weeks. I mean, <laughs> she's flatline. I mean, it's, it's, I'm doing all the chores and, I mean, you talk about knocking selfishness right out of you. I mean, you, survival. But here's the part that I want to get to. In the church that we were in, uh, the people all of a sudden heard of that. People would drop meals by. They knew, I mean, my point is this. I, if I hadn't have been a part of a church at that moment, I want you to think about that, okay? Occasional meal. And you know what? I see that, and I see the weaknesses in our own church at times, and we, we, are, not, we are not doing that well enough. I'm passionate about mobilizing people to, to help people. This disaster that I'm talking about is we can't just come up here, sing our wonderful songs, bless God, and live out our problems and live in absolute selfishness the next seven days of the week. We cannot do that. We're killing what the gospel is all about. I can't tell you how that touched me. And when I see people hurting and we can't mobilize like that because we're limited, we're only limited by our capacity of our thinking. If we change our thinking, we can make a difference. And, and then I began to think about the church. The church for a long time has apologized for what it can't do, but here's what it can do. It can preach the gospel. And that is first and foremost our number one thing. Preach Jesus, get them Jesus, they become the righteousness of God, and things change. Isn't that amazing? All of a sudden, their mindsets begin to change. They become less selfish. This is the plan of God. They begin to be Jesus. They begin to wiping each other's feet. They're not jockeying for position. And I can tell you, I don't care how good the preacher is, there is not preaching good enough to inspire you to change. Only the power of God has to hit you in this moment and change you. And here's why. Because he cares for your condition and mine. I thank God for many people. God has sent, I've been a blessing to people. I've missed it with people. I've missed opportunities with people when I could have been a blessing. But being real, I was selfish. I had Star Wars to watch. Yeah, and that one, I, I, I missed it. I can remember. There's times when I've missed it. Are we willing to be interrupted by God when it's not convenient? You will always be fighting margin. I write, you might want to write this down. Jesus set boundaries of his time to create margin to serve. You have margin for what you value. You have margin for what you value. You have margin for what you value. If it's not important to you, you won't create margin. That's why average U.S., Congregants only come to church out of a 52-week year, they'll come 24 and think that's membership. Isn't that amazing? And we applaud that. We're like, oh my gosh, we got them 24 times out of 52 weeks. That's sad. That is a catastrophe. And so I see what needs to change, but what I'm saying to you is the blessed life is in the grit and the grime in the dirty work, and not allowing somebody else to do, somebody else's they. Who's they? It's you. You are the hands and the feet. You are the one to get engaged. You are the one who can make a difference. Luke 6 talks about give, and it'll be given back to you. Let me tell you, I, that is a life commandment for me. When I give, it's amazing how God shows up in the supernatural to, to supply my needs when I'm a need to someone else. 
Some of you are stressed out. You think that by taking off Sundays every Sunday is a key to, 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 to not having stress. What you miss is, is that there's life-giving words from this pulpit. There's life-giving words in here. There's life-giving accountability that you're missing if you don't prioritize the church. If you don't prioritize the preaching of God's word. If you don't prioritize that, you're gonna be spinning around your head, figuring out your problems, going to a shrink, going to anything but the word to get you fixed when God knows what will fix you. 1 Peter 4.10 says this, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. That means we all have great gifts, I'm not going to get on, that's not a topic for this particular message, but you all have gifts. You have primary giftings and you have secondary giftings. But I want to tell you a little story. It goes back in that same year of 2003. I was about two years into my newfound faith in God, which was probably two years too long. But I can remember my wife asking me to help serve and she was working in the youth ministry at our church that we attended. And I was kind of a spectator. She was more of the participant. Um, and then Amarissa, uh, this is about a year and a half after she had been born, uh, they had a need in the nursery, or the one-and-a-half-year-olds. And so I said, okay, sure, I'll do it. And I mean, you know, you walk in there, and if you're a guy, you're like, <laughs> Where's the, what do I do? I'm going to tell you, I was the only guy in the nursery. And if there's one thing that isn't worse than your own kid's stuff, it's other kid's stuff. Fire hose material, you know? It's like, oh, Lord. And, you know, but you know what? I formed friendships there. There's a lady that we formed, we've known for years since then. I began to, actually got to know Pastor Lori, who at that time was, I was serving under her. And in, in, in the family life ministries there. And, and so God, God began to, to deal with me on some of these things. And it was amazing. It was like raises. And God does something when you engage the body. It's a fact. It's a spiritual law. But more than that, do you know that some of the stress that I was carrying because I was so selfish about it, it was all about me and my time, some of that just didn't matter anymore. All of a sudden, things change. You know, God says he promotes the, the humble. And I didn't go around sitting there telling everybody, hey, look at me, I'm serving in the nursery. Or I'm, let, let's not menialize that. Do you know that that is an important job in the church? Because we're laying foundation for generations. I mean, it bothers me, a Barna Research survey says this, but 84% of the kids by the age 14, if they haven't received Christ, only 80, only. 84% of the decisions made for Christ are by the age of 14. That means only 16% beyond that age come to Christ. So you know what that tells me? Build a strong family life ministry, right? Lay that foundation. But you know what? I shouldn't have to beg for children's workers, man. They should be joining the, the ranks. Well, I have four kids. I don't want to enjoy, I don't, I, I just, all I want to do is get away from my kids because I just want to come and sit and sew. I want to tell you I did. And in Minneapolis, when I was uh, working for the ABC affiliate there, before I was ever a pastor, um, I did that there at the church I was at. 
And then I, I honored that commitment. I can remember God asking me in a season um, when I was extremely busy and had very little margin, he asked me to do street ministry and to go help in neighborhoods that weren't the best. And, and you know, I can remember one kid, he was rolling a marijuana thing right in front of me. You know, and, and, and the power of God hit in that moment, and I was able to lead him to Christ. And okay, and then there was another, the alcoholic that sobers up. And so there's supernatural things that happen when you engage. But I was serving my local church while I was doing it. I was in their street evangelism ministry. I fulfilled a need in that ministry because they asked. But I wasn't real gifted, and I was very nervous about it. But God tugged on me in that moment. I never in a million years at that point thought I would ever be a pastor of a church. But spiritual promotion, you see, uh, when I came to start the church, I got a major salary decrease. I had all kinds of problems that I never had before, but in my mind, being a pastor of this church, your church, is a promotion. Forget the salary. I got to hear the testimonies and close to 500 people on Easter be here, and we saw testimonies of life change over the last year. Man, that turns my crank. I will do what God asked me to do, and I will be willing to be inconvenienced when he asked me to do it because my Father in heaven was inconvenienced for me on that cross. The key to the blessed life, what, what we have to understand is when somebody says, you know, when it talks about the blessing of God, understand when you have Jesus Christ in you, your spirit is blessed because you're the righteousness of God, even if you don't act like it all the time. And what I want to do is to unlock that blessing over your life into the physical realm, and part of that is your cooperation because there's a difference in verse 17 between knowing and doing. Let me read you verse 17 again. It says this. It says, now that you know all these things, you will be blessed if you do what? You do them. You can unlock God's supernatural in your life when you simply do what he asks you to do. I remember a healing service we had here on February 22nd. I was terrified to get up here and pray over people in the natural. But God said, do it, and people got healed. Not everybody, but a lot of people. You know how much pressure that I was putting on myself going, getting up here doing that? I was like, oh God, what if they don't get healed? Since when was it your job to heal them, Ryan? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And by the way, when do you get them saved? I don't. I rest my case. So you mean all I have to do is show up? Yes. I'll do the work. Sounds like a plan. <sighs> well, God, what if I preach to them and nobody does anything I ask them to do? I don't care. You did what I asked you to do. Nobody responds? It's off me. Thank you, God. And if nobody comes to church, I'll send you somewhere else. You can do something else. That's living the blessed life. Are you getting this? You're not limited by your own vision of how your life should be. You, you follow his example. And I close with this. I want you to think about a child right here. There's a child. I want you to envision a three- to five-year-old child that walks through the door, walks through that aisle, comes right here, right there. And I want you to picture this child with filth and mud, malnourished. This child is 
not in good shape. I want you to picture a child that everyone, we're all looking at, and then I want you to picture everyone in this room gets up out of the doors and walks away and leaves that child there. Yeah. What would that look like with a malnourished, underfed, dirty, smelly, unkept child. No person in their right mind would leave that child here today. What would we do? We would take that child, we would clean it, we would feed it, we would do everything we could we would, to, to help that child. And then God gave me a picture of his church that he died for. And that's kind of what we do when we don't engage. We, we leave the child that he, he cleans. Jesus with his towel, he, he, he cleans. But if we turn our back on the church, we're leaving the child there. If we turn our back on, on the condition, and here's the condition. Our churches need to clean up. Our churches need to be served. The household of the faith needs to be served. Jesus said to Peter and them, serve one another. He's talking to his disciples now. Doesn't mean we don't serve outside the church, but it does mean that we serve each other. Then I want you to picture that child. After I've said all that, here's what I want you to do. I want you to picture that that's your child. And I want you to picture everyone walking out the door and leaving your child there. Because you know what? They're God's child. That child's God's child. That person, that, that child that's been battered and bruised and abused and molested and left for dead and hurting and sick and feeble, that, that's God's child. How would you feel? That, that, that's God's child. You say, Ryan, that's a little dramatic. But Jesus died a dramatic death to serve us, to bring us out of the filth. We should go and do likewise. God, I pray with Holy Spirit fire that you inconvenience people today. I pray that you send a measure of inconvenience their way, an opportunity to release the blessing of God on their lives, that their mind is resisting, oh no, not another thing on the list to do, but they would have a mind shift, a paradigm shift to say, no, my local church, my church, wherever I'm a part, I will engage my church. I will be of service in some capacity. I'm willing to be willing because I don't want my child to be left behind. I don't want my child left like that. I, I, I care for the future generation. And somebody somewhere, if you're in this church today, has cared for you because they gave money and their time and their talents to help you. Father, I, I ask, I, I gave, Lord, I gave you my best. I, I don't want to beat anybody up. I just want them to know the truth that the pathway to blessing is servant leadership. 
I pray that, that the people would engage in a fresh, real, and powerful way in this moment you would begin to tug at hearts. Set them free to serve you and watch what happens. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. We'll see you next week.